CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. In the words of the Nielsen CEO, quote, Chicago is a really good place to have a corporate headquarters, end quote. And we agree. You always say that. All right. (laughs) (laughs) She is. She's like always saying it's Mayor Lori Lightfoot. How's it going? Your Ben Jarofsky show is just moments away. But before we do this, we need to thank our sponsors. Sponsors like SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana. The Chicago Federation of Labor are sponsors. The Chicago Teachers Union, they are sponsors. Also, Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of marijuana to put in your arm or arm i don't know what i'm talking about arm like lotion like they have like pot lotion now you can rub it into your arm and smoke it and eat it and all kinds of stuff find out what to do with marijuana in 2021 in chicago reader chicagoreader.com and if you want to help out this program you can chicagoreader.com forward slash jarofsky j-o-r-a v is in victory s-k-y It is Thursday, October 7th, and live from my apartment and his attic, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. He's not in his attic, he's in his (laughs) Airbnb, I said his attic. Today on the program, oh, it's the wild, wild west today, people. Mark Sims and Adolfo Mondragon. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Yeah, hello everybody, Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Sox versus Cubs Thursday, and here's why. Great article in the New York Times the other day, ladies and gentlemen. Great, great article about my beloved Chicago White Sox. Let me just say this before I get into that. As everybody knows, listen to this show. I'm not one of those Chicago. It's Mark Simpson's joining us, ladies and gentlemen. Mark Simpson's joining us. Love when my guests show up. Anyway. As I've said many times in the show, I'm not one of those people who lives in Chicago. They're like, oh, I'm a North Sider. I like the Cubs. Or, oh, I'm a South Sider. I like the White Sox. Maybe you had a story today, like, White Sox fans are tough. They're tougher than Cubs fans. I like them both. But I, things have changed. I used to like them both. I'm so turned off by the politics of the Ricketts that I can no longer like the Cubs. Okay, so I'll uh, give you a uh, case in point to illustrate a tale of two cities when it comes to baseball teams in the city of Chicago. My beloved Chicago White Sox are in the playoffs. They're playing in a couple hours, I want to say, baseball time. We'll be talking about that with Adolfo Mondragon a little bit before we get into politics with him. The White Sox will be playing Houston Astros, Dusty Baker versus Tony La Russa. Great battle between old managers. They're both in their 70s. Think about that, ladies and gentlemen. Two managers in baseball who are older than I am. Oh, geezer games. (laughs) So anyway, uh, there was an article in the New York Times talking about the culture of the Chicago White Sox and talking about 
the fact that there were so many players on the Chicago White Sox from Latino countries, Hispanic countries, Spanish-speaking countries from around the world. And how they've like a dominant culture in the team, and their uh, people, uh, the, the music that the the, cl- the the players listen to reflects the different cultures from the uh, the different countries that different players come from, et cetera, and so forth. So it's like a great article talking about how, at least in one baseball team in the city of Chicago, the Chicago White Sox, everybody's getting along. And Tim Anderson is talking about the one black player in the team from Alabama, how it's not his culture is not that much different than the cultures on the black guys who are from Cuba or uh, the Dominican, et cetera. It's a really uplifting story about people getting along for once, from back, different backgrounds. You know, remember back in the 2015 election, Mark Simpson knows what I'm talking about. There was a Hispanic guy running for mayor of the city of Chicago. So many black people were telling me, I can't vote for him. Remember that? Jesus Chewy Garcia. So uh, overwhelming. Well, not overwhelming, but well over 50% of the black vote uh, on the southwest sides went uh, to uh, Rahm Emanuel. Anyway, on the, uh, on the White Sox, everybody seems to be getting along. So that was a really uplifting article in the New York Times. Really appreciated it. And then Frank, our dear friend, friend Frank, a great uh, listener uh, to the show, a great friend of the show, sent me a, uh, a text which uh, sh- <laughs> showed a group of Republican governors at the border in Texas with uh, Governor Abbott and about, I forget how many of the governors, I don't have it right in front of me, but like four of them aren't from border states. They just showed up. Like at the border, there's a crisis at the border. We must protect and defend our borders. We must put that wall there because people are coming into this country and it's scary. So while the White Sox are promoting a sense of brotherhood, a sense of camaraderie, a sense that it doesn't really matter where we come from. We're all human beings. We can all get along and succeed together and excel. The Chicago Cubs are owned by the Ricketts. And one of the governors who was at that border just emanating hate for people who are different was Pete Ricketts from Nebraska, an owner, one of the owners of the Cubs. And that's why it's so freaking hard to continue to root for the Cubs because that ownership of that team is all about just vibrating hatred. And then when they ever get called on it, they go, Oh no, we don't, we, we don't really feel that way. We like, we love our, Latino ball players. <laughs> Meanwhile, at the border, we're going to protect you. So, yes. I might uh, have a, based on that article that was in the New York Times, a, uh, a trivia question uh, for Adolfo Mondragon when he comes in the show about the White Sox. So, stay tuned for that. So, thank you, uh, Frank, for sending me uh, that uh, clipping or whatever that was of the Republican governors at the border. Just so bizarre that Republican governors, I don't have Nebraska, all these states that are nowhere near the border showing up as though somehow or other uh, their states, their people are under siege. Uh, and as a, a side of appreciation, I, I told Frank I would do this. I'm uh, going to now lose every listener I ever have by explaining how TIFF works. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. You didn't run this by me. Lose every listener we have. What are you doing? <laughs> so. I'll explain this. I'm going to explain how a TIFF works. And uh, folks who read me uh, for the in the Chicago Reader know I've been explaining TIFFs for about 20 years now. And for about 20 years, my readers have been telling me, I bet I just don't get it. 
And I, I, you know, I have a little, I don't have a lot of tolerance, D. I got to explain this. And Mark Sims knows what I'm talking about. I don't have a lot of tolerance for listeners who don't get my explanations of tips. Because they're sort of like, wait, I'm not doing a good job of explaining it. It's possible. But the other thing is, I think it's just being willfully ignorant. Now, the world is filled with complicated things that I don't understand. For instance, right now, for reasons I'll never know, my headphones aren't working. Dr. D is going, no, don't shatter the fourth wall. But it's true. My headphones are working. And there's some kind of like, I don't know, glitch in the system, a technological glitch in the system. So whenever I look at my computer and try to figure out what that glitch is, my, my mind just blanks. Can't deal with it. So maybe people with TIFFs have a similar reaction. Although I will say about the glitch in my uh, system, even the smartest people I know can't fix it. Hey, guys, how's it going? <laughs> That would be Dr. D. Um, so, Frank, this is what uh, you should tell your friends uh, and family in Arlington Heights who wonder how their property taxes would go up if a TIF is imposed or created uh, to subsidize the Bears stadium. So this is how they will automatically go up. So I'm going to uh, say this very carefully and very slowly. I'll be happy to repeat it every show. So folks in Arlington Heights understand what I'm talking about, because right now Arlington Heights uh, is thinking about um, allowing the Bears to construct a new football stadium where the Arlington Arlington, uh, track race uh, course used to be or still is, but it's now closed. Uh, The Bears have purchased the property. uh, At least they have an option to buy the property. uh, And they want to build a dome football stadium there. It's going to cost a lot of money. And my belief is that the Bears will not be the ones um, uh, paying uh, the ticket to build that new stadium. They'll do it through a combination of sources. One will be they'll they'll slap a tax or a fee on top of the uh, tickets that they sell to their season ticket holders. And so those, the suckers and saps who go to the bears games uh, who pay to go to the bears games will be paying for uh, the new stadium. But uh, the, the major lift I think will come from the taxpayers of Arlington Heights through something called a TIF. And the way it works, Arlington Heights residents is that uh, a TIF district will be drawn probably around, just imagine a TIF district that is completely surrounds the Arlington uh, racetrack and uh, all the amount of tax dollars that are generated in within that district will be frozen. So if that TIF district, if that uh, racetrack right now is paying a hundred dollars in property taxes a year, uh, that uh, that's all the money that will be going to the schools of Arlington Heights, the town of Arlington Heights, the park district of Arlington Heights for the next 23 years. All additional taxes that are paid by the property owner, in this case the Bears, uh, in that TIF district will go to constructing the stadium. So that means if the Bears pay $100 this year and their taxes go up because of rising values to $200, that extra $100 in taxes goes to the Bears stadium. And how does that impact the taxpayers of Arlington Heights? Well, to compensate for the tax dollars they're not getting from that TIF district, Arlington Heights will have to raise its taxes on absolutely everybody else in Arlington Heights. So that's why a TIF is an automatic tax increase, automatic property tax increase. Uh, as soon as you withdraw land from the taxing agencies, as soon as the, the city of Arlington Heights cannot tax the land that the bears are on any more than they're already taxing it, they got to find the tax money out, 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 uh, somewhere else. So they'll raise the taxes 
uh, throughout the city of Arlington Heights. It's an automatic tax hike, ladies and gentlemen. I always call it a surcharge on the property taxes uh, that you pay. So I hope that helps people in Arlington Heights. I got a feeling, like I said, D, anytime I explain tips to people how they really work, I lose my audience. All right. Let's bring that audience back by bringing on the pride and joy of Finger High School, Southside Zone, Mark Sims. Welcome back, Mark. Uh, ben, Dennis, can you hear me? Because I remember one of the times on the show, I was on the show, the, the sound yeah. was bad. Is, oh, no. is the sound okay? Sounds great. Sound I know great, I bought man. a new camera just because that sound was so bad in one of your shows. And buy a new cam- you know what, Ben, when you were talking about tips, I said, my my bed is right over here. I said, should I go take a damn nap? <laughs> well, it sounded like you were or, cutting potatoes or something. That's what I was doing. I'm, I'm peeling potatoes. Oh, my God. I nailed it. You nailed it. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> I'm peeling a freaking potato. I said, damn. Let me just, <laughs> while he's doing this tips thing, I can <laughs> peel about 10 of these bad boys. Like, damn. That's pretty good. I'm almost done with this one. Oh, my goodness, Mark. There, right? That's hilarious. But that's okay. just a story. Yeah, how'd you know, hey, Dennis, how'd you know I was peeling potatoes? I was man? like, is this dude peeling potatoes during a, <laughs> the opener? I didn't mean to peel these damn potatoes all day. I said, let me get around to it right now while he's talking about some freaking tips. That's like Jesus. what my grandpa. multitasking. That's what my grandpa would have done if he were on uh, the Ben Jarosky show waiting to be on. That, that's right. That sounds cool. No, Ben, uh, uh, what, what you want to talk about? We, before we went on the air, we didn't mention Ali, man, did we? No. And Muhammad, Muhammad Ali and Elijah Muhammad. So whatever you want to talk about, oh I'm very I'm discursive. That's what supposed I'm, to talk about. I'll go, I'll go all over the highway. So brace yourselves, people, as we go all over the freaking Oh, my highway. goodness. Things have changed. The first time when I called Mark about two weeks ago, Mark, you got to come on the show. You got We have to talk about Muhammad Ali because I was utterly obsessed with Muhammad Ali. Having watched, did you watch the the four? Oh, you know, I, I watch bits and pieces. I'm freaking out because you're gonna bring Adolfo on later on. He's a White Sox fan, and I don't have cable, so I don't think I can see the damn game unless I get some bootleg cable like you do. Yeah, okay, <laughs> hook, hook me up after the show, man. Get that damn bootleg. Feed, that's man. how I watched the Bulls throughout the 90s. That's right. Oh, that, yeah. That bootleg streaming, man. I got to get it done now. <laughs> Come on. So what you want to talk about, Ben? Well, let's, uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, let's, 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 uh, let's do a little, just a little Ali talk. Uh, no, I'm reading now, your article. I hate to cut you off. I was reading your article while you were talking about tiffs. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> so your article about Muhammad Ali, and you said that you read his autobiography as a kid. Yes. Well, you were in the 70s, in 1970. I mean, I, I have trouble reading the article now. I had trouble reading your article. Were you were reading a book in 1975? <laughs> well, God, uh, you are a I, geek. Uh, a good geek, though. I am a geek. I am an obsessive reader. And uh, in the 19s, I was an obsessive reader in the 70s. Uh, and I read a lot of sports books. And uh, so in 1975, I think it was 1975, Muhammad Ali's uh, autobiography, The Greatest, came out. Uh, and it was a book he co-wrote with Richard Durham. And Richard Durham is a great Chicago writer. Uh, Mark, I don't know if you uh, ever met Richard Durham or ever read about him, but a uh, brilliant man, in my humble opinion. A great writer, a multifaceted writer. And for a while, uh, he was the editor um, of Elijah Muhammad's newspaper. And that's how he hooked up with uh, Muhammad Ali. Uh, and but in addition to being a newspaper man, he was he also wrote uh, TV scripts and uh, he wrote fiction. So he was just a mul- really talented writer, Richard Durham. A lot of respect for Richard Durham. So when I was about yeah my teens, I read this book and it had a huge impact on me, uh, Mark Sims. And in this book, uh, Muhammad Ali shows a side of himself that I think has been washed away 
by popular culture. Uh, An outspoken critic of American foreign policy, um, a very sharp uh, analyst of race relations in this country. And when he talks about uh, boxing, for instance, he kind of draws this metaphor. It's very like uh, in Django. Remember in Django, the scene in Django where the two black slaves are in are fighting for the delight of Leo DiCaprio to the point of death. Remember that scene? He in this book, Muhammad Ali draws that same type of analogy about black men in a ring fighting for the enjoyment of white people, which was a real powerful, in my humble opinion, a real powerful point to make in the 1970s the book was widely derided mark criticized and critiqued uh it was put down and uh i think it was a lot of uh, jealousy toward richard uh, durham by uh uh, other journalists who didn't get the the contract gig just between you and me mark that's what i think was going on uh and there's this one anecdote it goes on at length where muhammad ali talks about how he threw away his gold medal into the Ohio River because he had not been served in a restaurant in Louisville, his hometown, because he was black. And uh, he said that uh, the gold medal, he didn't want to wear it anymore because it wasn't uh, the country had shamed him and they wouldn't serve him in a restaurant. So he was no longer going to wear the medal. He threw it in the Ohio River. And in 1996, at the Olympics in Atlanta, when he lit the flame and the torch, uh, he was given a new medal, and it just really irritated me that Bob Costas went on TV when he got the medal and said, there's an apocryphal story that Muhammad Ali threw the medal into the Ohio River at protest, but in fact, he just lost it. I'm like, how are you to say he just lost it? Muhammad Ali, in his autobiography, said he threw it in the river. Who are you to say what Muhammad Ali did with his, with his medal? And so this has been kind of like a, issue i've struggled with you know what i'm uh, i'm saying mark one of my obsessions that you know so, so you're gonna go to the ohio river and go find muhammad <laughs> ali's i'm gonna go man it. all right let me ask you this mark so do you think muhammad ali just lost the medal or do you I, think he threw it in the river go i i i don't know i i you know that was a different can you imagine because i i remember as a kid you know, he changed his name to Cassius Clay because Clay, I thought that was a weird name, Cassius Clay. You know what I'm saying? Then he's Muhammad Ali. Not knowing, like, whatever, 30-something years later, I will call myself Mark X. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I had no clue. <laughs> who, who did? So when I, when I see, I'm going far afield here, when I see Parcher documentary, because I don't have cable, so I channel surf through PBS sometimes because I don't like commercials, and the documentary's good, and and my boy, you know, if you will, our friend, Salim Oakil is on in the documentary. And Salim Oakil is just brilliant. I'm just so, when you, it's, you know how you, it's being, being when you watch a documentary or something, you're like, I know that guy. I, I, I've talked to that guy in real life. I mean, I know that you know, it's one of my friends, you know, all that kind of stuff. But the point is that uh, the documentary is a good documentary. People want to see Muhammad Ali, Ken Burns, blah, 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 you know. But I always wonder, would Muhammad Ali be the great Muhammad Ali as we know him? a new him, if you will, if he did not join the nation of Islam. And that's the same for Malcolm X. 
You know what I'm saying? Now, I didn't join the Nation of Islam. I wasn't never in the Nation of Islam. I was just a part of a study group that taught the teachings of Elijah Muhammad. And I didn't want to get sucked in, but I got sucked in. So I understand the whole thing. People call it, some dude on the, on the document, documentary about Muhammad Ali called the Nation of Islam a cult. But I was like, what is a cult? I mean, what isn't a cult? I go to Costco. Costco's a freaking cult to me, right? People always have a, you know, when you have a brand like Apple, you know, you want you want a you want a cult like following. You know what I'm saying? Not Jim Jones cult. You know, you don't want to go too far, but you want a cult like following. So you can make. I'm not. I'm not gonna go far too far. Feel the Catholic Church or whatever religion, man. You everybody get hooked in, man. And I got hooked in and get. But then again, Elijah Muhammad's teaching is so good. Let me give you a taste of Elijah Muhammad's teaching. That's why I got so sucked in. First, you know, he called white folks devils and all that kind of stuff, you know. And I understand that he's from Sandersville, Georgia, which is about a few hours, hour and a half outside of Atlanta. So he's from the South. He's born in 18-something. So you, you can understand why a guy born in 18-something in Georgia, the old Georgia, if you will, why he called white folks devils. It's a long story, and I'm going to get to the long part of it. But one of the one of, that's how you get that's how I got sucked into the teachings. One of the things Elijah Muhammad said, and I shouldn't give this story these kind of stories out because when I was Mark X, it was just self-proclaimed Mark X. I wasn't a part of the nation. I got a call, Ben Jaworski, from the Nation of Islam, and they told me that X is the exclusive property of the Nation of Islam. <laughs> now I don't know if that's what prompted me to start backing out and I started phasing out the Mark X, so I don't know what the deal was. But the point at point was that Elijah Muhammad told his followers, as I, as I remember, this is over 30 years ago and I was taught this stuff, maybe 27 years to be exact, whatever. Um, he said one of the last tricks the white man would use against the black man to divide and conquer us, if you will. One of the last tricks a white man was used to divide me for the black man, hold the black man down, is to let the black man have his woman, have the white woman. <laughs> and so, and, you, and I don't know what the statistics now, I know that about 20% of white, black men marry outside the race. I don't know how many of those marry white men, white women. I don't, I'm not gonna argue against pros and cons against that, but the, the teaching is like any other teaching or religion. You just like, hey, that makes sense. And that makes sense. And off you go. You call yourself Mark X. <laughs> well, um, which was a lot was, of fun. It was wait, a lot of fun. But the part of the story that I'm I'm going to go back to is: Are you telling me that you essentially got what I, we uh, Dennis and I call a cease and desist letter from the Nation of Islam? I'm no, I, I, I shouldn't. I, I don't. You, I never told that story publicly. But and I don't want to go any further. But I did get a phone call from the nation. <laughs> okay, wow. Oh yeah, and it was legit. Now hey, it was legit, and I respect the nation. Oh yeah, and right, don't so get me back to your hey, question. Hey, there's, there, there's there's a picture of me and Louis. I met Louis Farrakhan on two occasions. There's a picture of me around. If I ever ran for political office, they were going to find that picture with me and Louis Farrakhan. <laughs> Might hurt your career. All right, uh, so. Let's um, go back to your original question, which I will now uh, give my opinion and get you, then you give yes. yours. You said, so would Muhammad Ali have been as great if he wasn't uh, in, in the nation of Islam and would uh, Malcolm X? And I, I think it's pretty obvious to deal with Muhammad Ali that part of the greatness of who he uh, was is definitely linked to the fact that he joined the nation of Islam, that his, his mind went in that direction. Uh, and listen, and this is what I, this is what I say. This is why I get so irritated by the throw the metal in the river, uh, this rush, this urgency that journalists feel to deny that that story is true because the reality is, is that Muhammad Ali for white people, and I'm speaking as a white person, uh, for, was a very scary figure. 
and the rhetoric he used scared white people. When I was 12 years old, Mark, I was struggling with this. You know, yeah, white people are devil. Does that mean I'm a devil? I'm not a yeah. devil. I think I'm a good guy. <laughs> you know? Ben, okay. you're not a devil. <laughs> you devil too, Dennis. Me, the devil made me do it. We got special ex- right. exemption from Mark Sims. We're not the devil. All those things and all the things he said about our country, which were very critical, it, it makes you think it's like it's scary. It's like we're a collective guilt. We're all responsible. You know, it's a frightening thing. And so Muhammad Ali, he put this out there. It was like who he was, Mark. And then later on when he can't speak because he's got Parkinson's, people want to put stuff in his mouth. They want to speak for him. Bob Costas wants to go on NBC and speak for Muhammad Ali. And that really, I'm like, no, that's not honest. That's being deceitful. That's creating this image, this phony image to peddle whatever it is that you want to sell, which Muhammad Ali was rejecting. So yes, I do believe it was a key part of his development that he was uh, in the nation of Islam. Your thoughts. And, and well, this country, you know, I, I love talking about education, and public safety, but in education, we're not taught to think in this country. We're not really taught to think. You know, if you if you see Elijah Muhammad, you say, how can this guy that can't really speak that well have all of these followers? What did he tell these people? He can't even talk that clearly like a Malcolm X, if he will. He's not articulate as Malcolm X, but he got this people to follow this little bitty man, and he wasn't six feet tall. How did he get these people to follow him and wear the suits and the bow ties and the and the guy the women war. How, what did he say? We don't want to go that far and start contextualizing that. You can say I, that's not my cup of tea without without saying, well, he must have said something good to people, otherwise they wouldn't buy into it. You know what I'm saying? And, and so, and then again, people have to say in the Times, 1960. Well, Elijah Muhammad uh, died in 75. Even let's go back to 1975. Y- you know, it's a much different Chicago than it was in 1975. You know, it's like in eighth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. That ta- that town doesn't exist. That country doesn't exist. Things change over a 50-year period, almost 50 years now. Things change over a 50-year period, so you have to put these things in context. Which, but the goal is really to put stuff out there without people really trying to think, because we're not saying wrong or right. It's just, this is just the way it was. Yeah. Can we all agree on that? All right. By the way, and, and, uh, then, if it? I was remember, you you weren't old enough to be drafted in the war, were you? Uh, no, I was. And, and I was a little war, kid. The draft had ended uh, by the time I came draft age. Well, we talked about it. We were little kids in high school and grammar school. There was because people were. We knew people were being drafted, if you will. You heard about it, you don't know, understand it as a little kid. But a lot of people. You imagine right now, if just relative to young people, if young people are listening, can you imagine we had a draft right now? You first thing you say, how far is Canada? How do I get there? You know what I'm saying? And Muhammad Ali said, I'm not fighting the war. And they took his crown for three years, right? Yeah. No, Think it's, about uh, I urge people to watch uh, the series just to for the one segment where they talk about the Ali's opposition to being drafted and the price he paid and the roundabout way it took the long winding road it took before the country finally it took a Supreme Court decision. Uh, decided to end their harassment and the persecution of Muhammad Ali. And then almost within a year, it re- the reversal, it's so bizarre, Mark. I mean, Richard Daly, Richard J. Daly, 
the supreme leader of the city of Chicago, just like, you know, the man that people in the city of Chicago would have been electing for forever, probably still would have, if you put him on a ballot right now, he's been dead since 1977, he'd still get elected. So he, in, uh, when Muhammad Ali uh, refused to be inducted, he was, this is on the eve of his fight against Ernie Terrell, which was scheduled to be in the city of Chicago. Mayor Daley uh, took away, said, you're not going to fight here in the city of Chicago, you draft dodger. And uh, that, that began the harassment and the persecution of Muhammad Ali. And Mark, in the documentary, they, they brought this back. I forgot this. So it was Daley who began it, uh, the, sort of the, uh, the outlawing of Muhammad Ali and the inability for, of him to uh, pursue his uh, career. But after the Supreme, after Ali beat Foreman uh, in Zaire, Daly gave a welcome uh, Ali to Chicago and gave him a medal or some kind of like a plaque or something like this equivalent of the key to the city. And I'm just like, wow, that's how quickly this country decided to forgive Ali, forgiving quotes like that. We he, it should have been the other way around, but because they were tired of the war. They wanted it in the rearview mirror. You get what I'm saying, Mark? And so that kind of politics It's politics. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I was told that Richard J. Daly gave Elijah Muhammad a proclamation of some kind of certificate yes, or something. Did. Okay, so that's when people got to say, this is politics. What else you want to yik yak about before, my boy? You know, Adolfo was so good on your show last time, man. He was, he's the man. Yeah, no. I just wait for him to curse. I want to say how long before he start cussing. <laughs> All right. Uh, so let's get down to what I was going to talk to you about today. Uh, and this has really been on my mind. And uh, public safety, of course, is something that Mark Sims uh, has been coming on on the show talking about for like as long as I've had the show. So it's been over two years. And I quote you all the time, Mark. Uh, when, when I have conversations with people about public safety, I always go, well, as Mark Sims says, uh, and, um, so it's, per- the issue's kind of been personified in this, uh, fight of sorts, this political squabble between, hold on, my, this door is open. Let me just shut this door. Now, before, before you start talking about shutting the door, listeners who are home, oh, you're coming back then. It was somebody shot and killed like a few blocks from my house, but it wasn't on the TV news. And if I wasn't sur- surfing the internet, it was in the Sun-Times, if I, or no, CBS2, it was a CBS2 thing. If I did not surf the internet, I wouldn't even know somebody was shot and killed. Two blocks from my house. When was this? Go, go right here. Uh, I don't uh, the, and the late, uh, late last month. September. I remember. It was, I remember when you came on the show and talked about it. Well, okay, but no, no. This no, is no. This, this is a, this is a new one. Now. This is a new killing. Keep going, Ben. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. So, yeah, and Mark, and the, and the joke is, uh, which I say all the time, when I'm going out for my my walk at night, I call Mark. We're talking on the phone. And what are you doing? You're on a walk. I can't walk in my neighborhood. <laughs> I'm going to come up to your neighborhood and walk. So. Kimberly, Fo- Kim Fox, uh, Cook County State's Attorney, uh, and Lori Lightfoot had exchange. And Lori Lightfoot, there's a shooting. We talked about this yesterday, the day before. It's been in the newspaper. Uh, a shooting, a very brazen shooting on the in Austin over the weekend. Uh, out in, in the middle of the day, uh, two rival groups shooting at each other. And uh, some people were arrested by the police, and uh, the state's attorney refused to press charges because there was no case. Lori Lightfoot essentially went on TV and said, arrest somebody. And uh, this reminded me, Mark, of a very uh, unfortunate column that Mike Royko wrote in the mid-90s uh, after the uh, Oklahoma, the building in Oklahoma was blown up. 
And Mike Royko had really gone to the conservative side in some ways at the end of his career. Uh, and he just said, well, it, has, it must have been uh, some country in the Middle East, some Muslim com- country in the Middle East. So just bomb one. It doesn't matter. Pick a country and bomb one. And so when Lori Lightfoot says just arrest somebody, it's like, just arrest somebody. It doesn't matter. Just someone has to pay for this. And, and Kim Fox is saying, I, I don't have evidence to prosecute. How can I arrest someone? How can we, how can we bring a case against this? Isn't this what we're supposed to be moving away from? Isn't this part of the legacy that we're supposed to be evolving from? And I'm struggling with this one, Mark, because it seems like the people, most of the people in the city of Chicago are on Lori Lightfoot's side of this issue. Just arrest somebody. How do you see this? Uh, I think I think I don't know the mayor. Uh, I I believe she's sincere. I think Kim Fox is sincere, but uh, the mayor's playing politics. Well, because you have to, because people are like, hey, is, they're shooting people downtown. As long as they shooting out there, in Mark Sims neighborhood on the far south side, we we'll just watch that on the TV news. But when when they start shooting down, uh, or, or you know, they had a shooting. Uh, well, they you know they all downtown. They shoot left to right, River North, whatever. They shoot, not, they shoot left to right, Lakeshore Drive. You know, Ken Griffin, your buddy, Ken Griffin, the billionaire. He's upset. He's going to move. But I read today, which I didn't know on Wikipedia, he's from Boca Raton. I mean, he grew up. Daytona Beach, Boca Raton. He ain't. He's he, he's a Chicagoan now. He's been here what since forty years. But the point is that he ain't grew up here. You know what I'm saying? And I people like me. I'm sorry, we got to one up y'all. We grew up here. And what I'm saying, Ken Griffin understands that he's smart enough. He's a few years younger than me. He understands that if you want to stop crime, you have to help people freaking read. Give them a skill. If they can read, they, they, you will taught them how to learn something, how to freaking read a vocational skill. They're not going to take a gun and shoot people left to right for the hell of it. It's just not going to happen. But people like Ken Griffin, they don't want to spend the upfront. I'm assuming Ken Griffin. I don't know who Ken, I never met the man. People like him are not going to spend the upfront money on teaching somebody how to freaking read, and then you could stop the crime, give them vocational uh, 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 training, and we won't have this. You're always going to have some crime. You won't have this ridiculous crime we're having now. I'm with you on that one. And by the way, Dolphin Mondragon has joined us. Uh, what a power lineup. Mark Sims, Dolphin Mondragon. Uh, this is one of the greatest lineups of all time. Uh, so, but, uh, so Dolphin, we're talking about Kimberly Fox. I keep calling her, I don't know why I'm calling her Kimberly Kimberly Fox, because there's a lot of Kimberly's on with Kim Fox and Lori Lightfoot uh, and their debate. And uh, Mark, listen, you talk about the politics of it. This is Ken Griffin. Just so everybody understands, is a Republican. He's uh, one of the wealthiest men in the state, and he spends his dollars investing them into Republican candidates, and Republican causes uh, in order to preserve his fortune. So uh, when he, for instance, bankrolled opposition to the fair tax initiative, which would erase the rates on the wealthiest people in the state of Illinois, uh, he was protecting uh, his tax, his income from taxes. That's what he did. And people in the city of Chicago bought the argument that he put out there and they voted against the fair tax, even though effectively they were raising their taxes by voting against raising Ken Ken Griffin's taxes. Ken Griffin must have been laughing his 
ass off at you people in the city of Chicago who voted on his, who followed his stupid commercials that you bought into. And, uh, and now, by the way, he says he's going to go, uh, go after the pensions. I love this. I told you guys, you pensioners on the Northwest and Southwest side, he's going to do it. But anyway, Mark, similarly, he realizes the ticket for the Republicans to win is to play the law and order card. So now he's going around saying that Chicago is the most dangerous city in the country, even though I, despite the carnage that happens in Chicago, it's actually not. Uh, and even though he has absolutely no, he's never made up, like you just said, Mark, never made an effort in any systematic way. That I know of. That I know, yeah, of. That I know of either. He bankrolled the, the the bike lanes. He paid for bike lanes on the parks. I want him. He, I don't he, know what, he put his name. He put his name on the Museum of Science and Industry, which is fine. Uh, and I don't want to cut you off. It's just that I don't have a problem with Kim Griffin because we need billionaires in the city to you know we need their money. We need their expertise. I, I get all of that. We don't want them to run like uh, Bruce Rauner did. Once he lost the governorship, he ran back to Florida. Ooh, ooh, ooh hey, right? Let me ask you this. We don't need I'm, that. I'm going to challenge you with this, and then we're going to bring Adolfo in. We need billionaires in the city of Chicago. If we're not doing taxing them, what difference does it make if a billionaire lives in Chicago? No, I, if we're not taxing them to the full tilt to get the full benefits of the I'm money. I'm playing politics, okay? You, come on, Ben. You know what I'm doing. I'm playing a game here. It's like Lori Lightfoot. She understands to be, to, for Lori Lightfoot to lose, you need a law and order candidate in Chicago, a Democrat, to beat her. What's the guy who ran in, uh, in the, the, the gentleman ran in, one in New York? What's his name? Can't think of his name. He was a police officer or something, right? The, the new mayor of New York. Uh, his will be the new mayor of New York. Can't think of his name. Okay. But you're gonna to beat Lori Lightfoot. You have Adam. to have a law. Adam what? Eric Adams. Yeah, Eric Adams. To beat Lori Lightfoot, you need a law, a law and order uh, candidate for mayor. I mean, if you if 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 somebody I like Lori Lightfoot. I would vote for her now if election was. You had a, a candidate say, Mark, we're going to fund education properly the way you like it and teach people how to read. I throw Lori Lightfoot under the bus. But Lori Lightfoot is, is she's smart. She understands that most people like lock them up, lock them up. And part of me says, lock them up. People have to be held accountable. Lock them up. All right. Sounds I'll mean, let... Ben, but hey, rumor Ben. You don't live out here in the hood. Okay. And a lot so of people listen to the show. I ain't mean it like that, but a lot of folks, they don't. They, I mean, I'm in, I'm in, I mean, I ain't going to tell you what, you know where I live, but I'm in, I'm in the neighborhood every day. And I'm telling you, it's like, it's, you got to roll through parts of Rosen right now. Your skin will crawl. Your hair, if you have hair, like I don't have much hair, your hair will go up in the freaking air. All right, let's bring Adolfo knows. He, 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 he's on. He's uh, Southside. He understands uh, what's going on. Uh, Adolfo, let's bring you on. Adolfo's here to talk about a victory. Well, let, we let, let me let me let me say that I there's there's a there's a good grain of truth to what Mark says in that. Look, uh, I read these uh, articles in the reader and other places that talk about how, um, you know, the carjacking rate is not related to gang warfare or gang whatever and this and that and they're i don't know i haven't looked through and seen through the the statistics that they're looking at and there may be some truth to what they're saying but you know i've been both in the ivy tower literally and also i live in the street like mark and when you're in the ivy tower and and you're writing you know looking at statistics and stuff you could say oh no it's not gangs it's not this it's not that but when you live in the neighborhood 
ah, the neighborhood tells you a little bit different than whatever they're writing about in the statistics. So I look, I tend to, to, to give a lot of credibility to the reports like that in the reader and trib and other areas, you know, that, that are saying that there's no correlation, but I don't know if there's no correlation because I live in the neighborhood, man. Look, just yesterday, my uh, nephews were coming out of school and uh, there was a drive by shooting that one of the parents was parking and some car took a shot at the guy. He didn't, he, thankfully he wasn't hurt, but there was kids out in the playground. Uh, 30 minutes later, I get a citizen thing that in, a, in not too far away from there, another couple of neighborhoods, uh, three blocks from my sister's house, the same mom who was picking up those two nephews, some guy got shot three blocks from her house. This was like 40 minutes after there was all, there was all, there was almost a shooting at the kids school as they were bringing them up. So again, I you know, I, I you know, I um I li- I have one foot in one world and one foot in the other and I got to tell you sometimes when you you're a little too much in the ivory tower, you got to come down to the neighborhood and look at it from from our perspective too and uh I'm not all full blown and I'm not supporting Lori uh Lightfoot's just put anyone in jail. Fuck that. But, you know, but, you know, I, I too have moments where I'm like, lock people up because I can't walk around my neighborhood, which used to be a beautiful neighborhood and without worrying about getting shot. And right, so, um, it's sad. So, all right. So let's let's talk about that. Lock people up in, in, in within one sentence, Adolfo. You contradicted yourself. In I, did, I did. I did. I did. I did. I don't want people being locked up without due process. I, that's why I disagree with Lori Lightfoot. You know, she's taking a kind of fascist position. Just put someone in jail so we could, you know, scapegoat the fuck out of this issue. No. I know that Kim Fox doesn't want bad people out on the streets. And uh, you got to remember, she's a prosecutor. Fuck, she's by nature, she's conservative. So, you know, I understand. But she wants to, unlike the ugly past of that office, she understands that she's got to do it better. And now, now for a bunch of reasons, but particularly because it's the black community is the one that takes the brunt of this shit with uh, unlawful arrests and searches and unjust convictions. And maybe they're on the margins. Maybe there's more than on the margins of these cases. But whatever the, the situation may be, there should be no, you know, we should try to have no cases where there are people who are unlawfully uh, uh, arrested and and convicted on on, on the thinnest of of, uh, of of evidence. So, look, I understand both. I understand the urge to get accountability, but I don't want to be accountability at at, at all, any cost. No, there, it has to be done right. Um, but it's tough when you're living on the street. It's tough. You 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 know. And I understand that policing is difficult and investigations are difficult. But man, you you know. I mean. Um, I think in this day and age, everyone is just like, well, I can't go do anything. I can't, you know, cops are, I can't, I can't do my job because there's anti-cop sentiment. You got to work through that shit, dude. And got to get the job done. Yeah. I, I, uh, I know this is, uh, an issue that's, uh, easily, uh, scapegoated, uh, and play politically. Uh, Rex Hupke, by the way, I don't know if you saw this, uh, Dolphar or Mark, the uh, uh, columnist for the Tribune, wrote a pretty good column today. I thought I urge you guys to read it if you haven't already. I haven't uh, yet. But it's, he just broke down some of the rhetoric 
that have been put out there by uh, various politicians in the city of Chicago, where they say these proclamations. And these are politicians, uh, Adolfo, who don't even live in tough neighborhoods where there's high crime like you live in or, or Mark lives in. Um, and uh, but like the rhetoric that Ken Griffin uses, this is the most dangerous city in the country and yeah. it's never been this bad. And I mean, you're just throwing poison out there. And, right. and it, listen, there's something really seriously wrong with the fact that there could be open gunfight in the middle of the day in the city of Chicago and somehow or other, no one's arrested because the police there's nobody will testify against the shooters in any way. So that's part of the problem. Uh, Adolfo and Mark, you know, you read the same stories right. I do. And, uh, and there's no evidence they got. So yeah, it is really frustrating that there could be open war- gunfire in, in the city. And, and but the no- real problem being, the real problem is we, 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 people want short term solutions, which is lock them up. I get that. But long term is boring. Long term is teaching people how to read, give, giving them a skill, vocational skill, giving them mentors and tutors. See, that's the long term. That's what really works. But you want me, you may not see the effects of that for another five years or so. You know what I'm saying? The Here's a little secret. The crime is going to, because demographics, demographics is not destiny all the time. Because of demographics of the city, the crime is going to go down. Believe it or not, it really is. But we just wanted to go down. Oh, well, if I was Lori Lightfoot, I want to go down next year so I can win re-election. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that would. By the way, the, the issue of uh, crime statistics—they uh, are so manipulated uh, all the time. It's like, uh, oh yeah, everyone does. Everyone fudges the numbers, right? I mean, particularly, I mean, the cops as an institution fudge the numbers all yeah. the time. Uh, but the, the real stories were like Adolfo. Adolfo's talking about real people being shot. Uh, I'm in the neighborhood. You know what I do for a living being? I'm out here driving around doing my thing. And it's you like you try. You you just have to live with it because you don't know what's with something to jump off. You hope they you don't get uh, shot. That's all that happened. They know you know they, they're not going to shoot at you, but you don't want to get shot getting the crossfire. But but the, but I lost my train of thought. But the main thing is that we can stop this, but we have to have a sane long-term solution and it can be done but people don't you know people i don't want to hear a long-term solution no you can do it it's see adolfo went to public schools i went to public schools i didn't do as well as adolfo he did very well in school (laughs) but i had very but i had very good parents and that's why i'm not a criminal it's very simple we can we can stop this but but look and and i blame some of Lori's people I think she has good people. I think she doesn't have enough good people. And, and so she doesn't have enough good people to, and here's a little story. This, and you can cut me off and have, oh, Dolphin got to talk about the White Sox before I go. But the main thing, I want to say this. Uh, the lady on Erica Sargent on Channel 2, she had a great report. She interviewed some young people who were carjacking and it humanized these young teenagers who are carjackers. People forget the people who commit crime in Chicago, most of them, if not all, went through the Chicago public schools and they are human beings. So sometimes you should ask them, why are you committing crimes? And let's try to figure out how to stop you and future generations from stop from committing crimes. This can be done. All right. Uh, before we get to the White Sox and uh, I. I do have a little trick in store for Adolfo, uh, who is a, 
uh, a real serious Chicago White Sox fan uh, and uh, is already getting ready to uh, he's wearing his White Sox hat, ladies and gentlemen, and he's getting ready to root for the White Sox against Houston. Uh, Tony La Russa versus Dusty Baker, man. You can't make this stuff up. I'm excited, too. But before we get to that, we got to talk about uh, Mark Sims. You got to hear this one. Adolfo Mondragon, dear friend of the Ben Jarofsky show, uh, had a big victory. A lawyer, Adolfo Mondragon, had a big <laughs> that caught me off guard, ladies and gentlemen. I did not predict this was going to happen. Adolfo, I didn't predict know. it was going to happen. <laughs> and so uh, this has to do with the Danny, what I call the Danny Solis case. Uh, and uh, we're, um, Adolfo has been coming on my show, Adolfo, many times talking about this. Uh, is it an injustice? It's corruption. It, the, the, the loophole in the law that allows politicians, elected officials, Danny Solis, former alderman of the 25th Ward, to use the campaign contributions that they raise uh, from their donors for their criminal. All right, Mark Sims just put on his white socks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but they get to use the campaign funds that they raise from their donors to pay their criminal defense fees. And Adolfo was the one who enlightened me. Maybe in about a White Sox game, we were sitting in there. We should sometimes bring a microphone to our White Sox games. <laughs> we really have some good conversations. And it, it could have been that. I don't know when it was. But you would, you were the one who enlightened me to this one, Adolfo. You're going, it's, it's not right. It's It should be illegal. And then right. you did come about it. So talk about what you did and what happened last week with the state Supreme Court. Go. So, um it, it, it's not actually a loophole. It's uh, I I argue that the law has always prohibited this practice. It's just that no one ever complains about it, and so it just goes um, unchallenged. And uh, and then that uh, you know gets complacency, and before you know it, people are abusing of the system. And so a couple of summers ago, the Sun Times and the Tribune started reporting about how. Madigan and Burke and Solis and other people uh, who are getting in trouble with the federal government and uh, federal investigations and or being formally charged with uh, with crimes of public corruption were dipping into their political campaigns and not not taking a dollar or two here, but millions of dollars to pay for, uh, you know, premier law firms to. Uh, defend them against very serious accusations of public corruption and uh, and ha- having you know run for office and also uh, you know uh, represented candidates for election. I'm a little bit familiar with the election code and the campaign disclosure act and I thought to myself, this is not allowed if you can't even take money to from your campaign to get a haircut, or buy yourself a suit, how the hell can you reason that you could take millions of dollars and take that for uh, to pay for your personal uh, defense, not, not lawyers to get you on the ballot or to kick your uh, rival off the ballot or to, you know, um, do something related to the campaign. This is money used solely for your own, you know, for, for, for your own purposes, right? To keep yourself out of jail. How is it that that's any different from using money to get yourself a personal haircut or a personal suit or a car or a home or a gym membership, which is all explicitly prohibited by the Campaign Disclosure Act, uh, 
but there's also language that um, you know you can't use these for personal debts. And and I said, well, paying an attorney to to uh, to defend you from allegations of corruption or any criminal charges to me is a personal debt. Um, so I went to I I I knew we I knew that this law had to be this practice had to be challenged. But I needed a plaintiff because I wasn't going to be a plaintiff on this thing. And I uh, and I I went to Byron Cisco Lopez, who had just beaten Danny Solis. And Danny Solis was one of the people taking, you know, huge amounts of campaign money to defend themselves. And I said, Byron, you know, this is illegal. And, you know, I believe I read the law. This is illegal. And it's a practice that that is just people assume is correct but it's not, and it, and it's wrong for for both le- on a legal basis, but also ethically and morally, this is wrong. This is hypocritical. This is adding insult to the injury that politicians, um, uh, you know, uh, give to the public when they abuse their office. This is adding salt to the wound, because now you're 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 giving uh, politicians an incentive to push the envelope of bad behavior because they know somewhere that they have an insurance. They have a big honeypot of money waiting there to hire great lawyers uh, to, to either extend an investigation or whatever, or a trial and, and just wear the government down to a point where they can either get away with it or they, can mitigate their circumstances and almost get away with it by just a slap in the hand or something. And um, thankfully, Byron was very brave and he signed on because some of his advisors were very against it. And um, and and we filed with the with the with the board of elections. Now, what we have to understand is that for these kind of challenges, you you have to expect to lose right away at the beginning. And Ben, you more than anyone told me, like, particularly, not only are you going to lose, but who are you going against and in what city and what town and, you know, and against what practice? You're going to lose virtually all the way if you're going to, you know. And uh, and I expected to lose at the board, and I did. I I didn't expect, I, I, I had hopes that maybe at the Court of Appeals I would win, but I didn't. But they framed the issue in such a way that it gave me an opportunity to seek an appeal at the at the at the Illinois Supreme Court, and uh, I had a conversation with you, Ben, or when I filed it because I almost didn't file it. Uh, many people don't know. I I talked to Byron and he said, "You do what you need to do." I, this is all pro bono, by the way. So this is my, my labor, right? That's free. And uh, why would I give myself more work if only five percent of these appeals get approved, right? And um, but I thought there was something here. I filed the appeal, and and Ben, you told me, you know, ironically, if they were to grant your appeal at the Supreme Court, you'd probably have a way better chance of winning there than you would than you did at the board, than you did at the at the at the uh, first appellate district. Uh, you might actually, but that but the rub is you got to get it there, and lo and behold, uh, we got it there. So we're gonna have our day in court. I think it's great, and uh, I give you a lot of credit, and shout out to uh, Alderman uh, Byron Cisha Lopez for putting his name on there. Folks, you have no idea uh, how many currents he's swimming against, because uh, Danny Solis is relatively low on the totem pole, 
Uh, he is a former alderman of the 25th Ward, but two of the biggest powerhouses in Illinois politics uh, stand to lose if Adolfo prevails. Follow me on this, folks. Uh, uh, former House Speaker Michael Joseph Madigan, who's running up quite a uh, criminal defense bill with because he's been the subject of investigations uh, from the feds uh, in the Commonwealth Edison scandal. So uh, he could potentially be affected by this if the Supremes rule uh, agree with Adolfo that this is uh, so uh, this is not a, a correct use of campaign financing. Uh, and of course, uh, Alderman Ed Burke, the all powerful former uh, all powerful uh, chairman of the Council Finance Committee, ran a property tax business on the side. Uh, he, too, could be affected. So you're asking, you, when Byron Sisha Lopez put his name on uh, Adolfo's lawsuit, they were up against the powerhouse elite of the Democratic Party. And a lot of other Democratic chieftains are also thinking, you know, I want to dip into this campaign money if I get in trouble. So uh, yeah. I guarantee you, the, Ed Burke's a lot more popular with aldermen in the city of Chicago than Adolfo Mondragon is or Byron Sister Lopez. It's like Serpico, ladies and gentlemen, if I could go back. This is going back in time. Great movie with Al Pacino. Adolfo knows what I'm talking about because he's seen it. And maybe Mark Sims has seen it as well. Uh, where uh, uh, Al Pacino played Frank Serpico, a police officer in New York City who dared to testify uh, about corruption, that he saw blatant corruption. He saw, and he was the one who was treated like a pariah, Adolfo. He, not, not the corrupt right. guy, he right. was. And so right. when you go up against the powers that be in this state and take away this sugar daddy deal they got, you're not going to make any friends, Adolfo. Well, you know, I guess that's the case all the time when you're in this city fighting against uh, the, you know, the uh, fighting against city hall, as they say, um, I, you know, I, I will tell you though, that I think among the public, I would bet that the winds of change are in our favor. I think that if you ask anybody on the street, if this is something that should be allowed, this practice of taking that money, um, I think most people would agree with, uh, with my lawsuit. Uh, Byron's lawsuit and say that, you know, that no, of course not. This is like I said, this is insult to injury. This is a hypocrisy above, uh, you know, on top of a hypocrisy. Um, so I think that I, I, I would, I would dare guess that, uh, you know, the, the average citizen is probably behind this. And I think it's common sense. And because we've argued that it's always been the law, this is the way it should have been read from the beginning. You know, it, like you said, it does have consequences for others because this complaint is only against Danny Solis's committee and Danny Solis's use of $220,000 to pay his lawyers. Um, but because we're arguing that this has always been the law, this is not a new interpretation of the law or a new rule or anything. This is the way it's always been. That means that anyone, even if they've done it in the past, not going forward only, because that's what they would like to argue. They'd like to say, well, no, this is something new, and we didn't know, and what we were doing was legal, but now we know, and moving forward, we won't do this. No, 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 no. What I'm arguing is this has always been the law, and because it hasn't been challenged before, people have gotten away with it, but they should have known better. And so if we win, it, I'm hopefully... Not only does it affect Danny, 
but then other people could start filing complaints against all the other people. And it's it's beyond Madigan and, and Burke, too. I mean, you have Kerry Austin who's doing this. Um, before he passed away, you had uh, State Senator Sandoval who did this. Um, and uh, I, I think that sometimes said that uh, uh, Thompson has not done this, but, you know, there, <laughs> there are many others out there that are uh, in trouble. Um, what is it? There's a... Uh, the uh, Cook County um, uh, uh, rep uh, Tabinski, what's his name? Um, oh, from the southwest side. Oh, southwest yeah. suburbs. Yeah, yeah, he's he's in trouble with the feds too, and I think he might have dipped into that campaign money. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that one. But my point is, is that not only will it it it, it prevent this from happening in the future, but Hopefully it'll it'll uh, you know have all these people who are currently doing it and have done it in the past have to give back this money that they've taken from the public trust, you know, and used to, to get away with, with their alleged wrongdoings. And, uh, I, I think at this point we have to, uh, mention the Burke factor. Uh, it has an impact, potential impact this lawsuit on Alderman Ed Burke, uh, who uh, has a enormous reserve of uh, campaign funds, uh, the guy who really knew how to raise, uh, uh, squeeze people for money, that's for certain. But his wife, Ann Burke, is on the state Supreme Court. Uh, so as I understand it, uh, Dolfo, she's already announced uh, that she will not participate uh, in this, uh, on the deliberations. Am I correct in that? Yeah, that's, that's my understanding. Indeed, in order to get the petition allowed uh, in that uh, process, uh, she and uh, Justice Tice, or Tice, I forget how you pronounce it, they both uh, recuse themselves, uh, and which, 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 I, which I'm very grateful for, because it, it's their discretion. And I always said when I, when I filed it that I hope that they see that because there are implications that in order for there to be no, not even an appearance of any wrongdoing or bias or whatever that they would take their discretion and recuse themselves. And I, I've been a fan of, of Justice Burke because, you know, as a former appellate defender, she's always been very good and uh, understanding in uh, constitutional cases involving criminal uh, uh, convictions and and in other issues as well. She's been a she's been a good justice and she remains one. Um, uh, but for this case, I think that it was the correct move to recuse herself and not be involved because we don't want any appearance at all of any wrongdoing in this. And, uh, you know, let the chips fall while they may and on the merits of this case. And, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, hopeful that, that the remaining members of the, um, of, of the Supreme court that do hear this case on the merits, you know, we'll see that, uh, that we're right. That, that, uh, this is this is just common sense. This is the way you read the the common the plain language of the statute. It, it prohibits these personal debts, and you know the appellate court said, and this is this is the rub of the of the of the appeal. The appellate court ruled and said, yes, I agree with you, Adolfo. This section of this campaign disclosure act does prohibit the use of campaign money for personal debts, such as. If you were to hire an attorney to do to represent you in a DUI, or such as if you were to re, uh, hire an attorney to represent you in a in, in a closing or 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 a divorce, I think they said. 
But then it made the, the unreasonable distinction of saying, but if you hire an attorney to defend you against criminal charges against corruption, that's okay because the uh, FEC on the federal level, which is a complete different system, says that that's okay. And so we're going to deviate from the plain language and make this exception because the federal government does this for congressmen, so it's okay. It, we're gonna we're gonna adopt that that saying, and by doing that, they've just overstepped the bounds of the state legislature because only the state legislature can say we're gonna follow the federal law. What if the state doesn't agree with them? <laughs> you know, and in fact, the FEC has ruled on some of these issues in a very different manner than the state board of elections and its practices have shown. So there's a huge problem, and that's what has allowed us, thankfully to get the appeal because what they did was a no-no and they know it. And it's such a grave error that it gave us a way in to the uh, Supreme court. All right. Well, I'm through with uh, making predictions uh, in this case. Uh, You've already uh, proved me wrong by getting this far. So congratulations for that. Not proving me wrong necessarily. No, thanks. And it means, it means a lot, Ben, because one, I don't know if you know, but you know, Latinos in the attorney in, in as attorneys in the, in this country, we we only represent something like three percent of attorneys in this country. Okay, African Americans I think are just right around like two something percent, and we were in as a popul in the population we represent a far greater share, uh, and and so there are very in other words there are very few of us who one even have a law license, let alone have the resources to work at a place that could teach you the skills to even take on cases like this. And uh, God knows I've been, you know, I started uh, working for the government as an appellate defender and learned a lot there. And then I've been in private practice for the last uh, 10 or so years or more, actually more. Um, And have, you know, done it the hard way without the resources of some lofty law firm. And, uh, uh, and so it's, it's, it's incredibly tough to fight one to fight city hall right even if you are in a big fancy law firm two to to be a minority who's out there on their own with with very few colleagues who you can rely on to give you guidance and advice and then to to take on a case like this and actually get it you know get to the point where you'll get a hearing at the highest level is uh and it doesn't you know i and and i and that doesn't uh escape me so i do thank you for the congratulations because this is a really tough thing to do for anyone but it's much tougher if you're a person of color in this in this game and uh and so, you know, I, that doesn't mean I'm going to win, right? But I'm going to give it my darndest, and I'm hopeful that I will win. But just to get it here has been such a, a challenge, you know. And this is all, you know, like I said, it's all pro bono, brother. It's all, yeah, it's all, bono. you know, it's all because I think that this is something that um, that that the public deserves someone fighting uh, for them on this front. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll come out on top. Let's put it this way. Uh, you make as much money uh, representing, uh, spending all that time uh, fighting the injustice of the state of Illinois, uh, uh, working on that court, uh, on that legal battle, 
Uh, you make as much money doing that as you do uh, appearing as a guest on the Ben Jarofsky show. Uh, <laughs> That's and, I don't even get a tote bag or anything, right? <laughs> uh, and Mark Sims could tell you that too. All right. Uh, you mentioned Latinos, so let's close with this. Uh, Mark and I have already talked about this a little bit, and we'll bring you. Oh, nice on. segue. Yeah, I know what yeah, you're going to uh, Beloved Chicago White Sox uh, will be playing Houston very soon uh, in the f- game one of the playoffs. Mark's got his hat on, uh, and Adolfo has his hat on. I'm, I'm wearing my Bulls hat. Had I known it'd be this White Sox theme, I would have brought my White Sox hat out. Um, so there was a great article uh, in the New York Times, which I sent to you, and I've talked about already, uh, that talked about the Latino culture in the Chicago White Sox uh, clubhouse. Uh, and then I, uh, coincidentally, at the same time, you weren't on the uh, on the show when I said this, uh, Adolfo, uh, I got a text from uh, Frank, uh, a dear listener uh, of the show, uh, talking about how, about, I forget how many governors it was, uh, Republican governors went down to uh, the border uh, with uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott to talk about how they went. We need to reinforce our border and protect America from these invading hordes. And one of the governors uh, who was there was a gentleman named Ricketts, Pete Ricketts, who's the governor of Nebraska and part of the Ricketts Consortium that runs the Cubs. So on one hand, we had this contrast with one day that blew my mind. One hand, you have an article talking about the great culture and the of diversity uh, and everybody getting long brotherhood in the White Sox clubhouse where you have players from all over uh, Central America, all over Latin America coming in to Chicago, Cuba, uh, the Dominican, Venezuela, et cetera, and so forth. And they all get along. And God bless you, Tony La Russa, for getting the right kind of culture, encouraging it. But he got a lot. Uh, the manager has something to do with it. And then over there on the north side of Chicago, the Chicago Cubs are owned by a, a man who goes to the border with other hating Republican governors. Stay out! Unless you can play baseball, maybe we'll let of you come in. Uh, what a contrast, huh, Adolfo? It's enough to make anybody reject the Cubs and become a White Sox fan. Well, like I've told you in the past, I grew up, when I was a kid, I rooted for both teams. And, like, sincerely loved both teams, 83, 84, 88, you know, et cetera. But as, I, as a grown-up, I, 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 it was hard to go to Wrigley, man. It's just hard because you don't see people like – myself there a lot and then i get treated very badly with the pretext of oh it's just josh you know white Sox fan but there's really a lot of other shit underneath that and uh and then for for it to go from the fanhood or some of the fanhood because not all cup fans are bad obviously i know a lot of great cup fans to the management to you know and then even the you know this used to be a team that had sammy sosa and you know other great latin ball players too and uh and and just for 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 you know at the top levels of this organization to to have this um, you know representation of this hate <laughs> is just amazing to me. And that you know I was commenting to my friend David the other day. We went to the last weekend for the White Sox and uh, and you know it's so nice to see different shades of colors of people coming out of that ballpark because I know when I go to Wrigley it's just homogenous man it's like one color and and that's that and so um, it's good to see it on the field it's good to see it in the stands it's good to see that management uh, down on the south side is very open to uh, different cultures in fact if you notice the jerseys a lot of the guys in the White Sox were the first to put their accents on them before the uh, MLB started adopting that as a general thing for all ball clubs I think the White Sox were the first to, to get uh, interpreters for the Spanish-speaking players before it became kind of a league-wide 
type of thing. Um, so, you know, it's, it's really good, uh, to see that, uh, at least with one team in this. No, I mean, I, I just gotta say that, uh, we, we, I'll move on from this real fast, but baseball is so weird. So when we started getting for your years, there'd be uh Spanish speaking guys come in they'd be on their own, no interpreters. Uh, you know, then the first guy come from Japan or Korea, they get their own interpreter. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, yep. culture baseball. All right, now wait before we go. We got this great uh, let, Mark. I'm going to put uh, Adolfo. He doesn't know I'm about to do this to him. Put him. Put him uh, on the hot seat. Let's okay. see how he does on this. So this is White Sox Latino trivia uh, okay. with Adolfo Mondragon. And um, so I. These are the uh, the great uh, Latino stars on the Chicago White Sox. And so I'm going to name their names, and then you tell me what country they come from okay. so do you know your chicago white Sox latino oh. <laughs> all right go ahead. uh and i'm just gonna leave this to adolfo because i'm not sure mark could pass this test all right here we go okay um, mancanda the Moncada. Uh, Moncada, excuse me Moncada, he's cuban baby he's cubano yes very good uh yoan this is for, how do you pronounce his first name yoan 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 kind of like yohan but yoan you 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 gave me a whole lecture on that name once. <laughs> once I remember that. Yeah. Okay, uh, Aloy Jimenez. Uh, Aloy Jimenez is from the Republica Dominicana, Dominican. Very good. He's two for two, Mark Sims. Uh, Louis Robert. Louis Robert La Pantera. He's from Cuba. <laughs> wow, he's three for three, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Jose Abreu. Oh, Jose Abreu is from Cienfuegos in Cuba. <laughs> Damn it! And uh, Robert is from uh, from Gua- um, uh, Guantanamera. He's wow. from Guantanamera, Cuban. All right, yeah. Here we go. Uh, Grandal. Am I pronouncing it right? Yeah, uh, Grandal is from. Uh, I'm blinking out here. Hold on a second. Let's skip Grandal and. Uh, oh, Yasmani, right? Yasmani Grandal. He was born in Havana, Cuba. So Very good. Cuban. I, th- I thought you would uh, trip on that. Uh, Cesar Hernandez. Cesar Hernandez is from Venezuela. Very good. Carlos Rodan. Uh, Carlos Rodan is. Born in the U.S., but of Cuban parents. Unbelievable. What state was he born in? He was born in, he was born in Florida, but he was raised in North Carolina. Uh, I think he was born in North Carolina. Okay, he was born in North Carolina. Uh, uh, Lopez. Reynaldo Lopez. Oh, Reynaldo. Reynaldo Lopez is, ooh, this is where, um, uh, he's Dominican. Very good. Oh, yeah. Jose Ruiz. Uh, Ruiz, he's uh, like Ozzy Guillen, he's Venezuelan. Unbelievable. And now we'll close with this one. What high school did Mark Sims go to? Oh, shit. <laughs> Mark Sims. White Sox. Now you got Mark Sims. <laughs> CBS? <laughs> I don't know. No, no, no. It's outside no, no. of Chicago. You never heard of Finger High School. But see, I want no chance. Adolfo, I watch your, your because uh, I don't have cable. I don't even know how to even watch the TV, the White Sox today. I was a real White Sox fan. 
when I was a kid. You know, I used to watch Dickie Allen go to the games at the old ballpark back in the day. And I was there in 83 when I scaled down the outfield wall and ran out onto the <laughs> oh, field. Man. There's pictures of that, not me on it, but you can, you know, I'm in there somewhere. Right out, I ran out, out into the field at Old White Sox Park in 83. Wow. Ransdorf stole my love of baseball when he threatened to move to St. Petersburg, Florida. So I'm not, yeah. I still root for the White Sox with three games this year, which is phenomenal for me. And, uh, and, uh, and I like watching the Dolphins videos when you're at the game, so many games, I see your stuff. But, uh, but I'm, st- I'm a fan, but Ransdorf has always done, I'm not, I'm not saying anything bad about Ransdorf, although he stole my love of baseball I once had as a kid, but the point in the young adult, but he's always had international players on his team. He's got, was it Mr. Hendricks is from Australia or something, right? The relief pitcher, Hendricks. Yeah, Liam, Liam Hendricks is he's from, from Australia. Australia. So remember your yeah. beloved Bulls, Ben, he's always gotten international players for that for that fan base and the merchandising base. I'm not saying he's a shrewd, smart businessman, which he is, but the point is that I have to give him credit for having such Yeah, and the, and the Sox also have a history of, of getting, in particular, Cuban players, you know, we yes. from uh, Minoso to, uh, well, Carrascal was Venezuelan, I think, um, and then just in the last uh, generation of White Sox, uh, 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 you had uh, Contreras pitching. Um, right. uh, El Duque was yeah. from Cuba. Alexi Ramirez, uh, Cuban. I remember Aparicio was a kid, okay, going way back. But the point is that, that uh, 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 I'm getting over here, I lost a chain of thought. The, the, the bottom line is that when I was a kid, that's how I remember now, when I was a kid, I saw uh, Roberto Clemente. And I saw his black man speaking Spanish. And I, I was, you know, it's in the 70s, early 70s, one well, of the late 60s, early 70s. And I didn't know the history. And to this very day, I think a lot of people still don't. You see the Latin players. Yeah. But what does that mean? How they got to be Latin players? Where did those original families come from? Like a lot of blacks were, guess what, slaves. And the Spaniards came over here and conquered this part of the world. <laughs> so they don't really tell that whole history. So, yeah. you say, so I was confused by seeing this black man speaking Spanish. There's probably still people today who see that and don't, and they're not still teaching that history that yeah, long. Yeah. You have to go into slavery and white supremacy, I understand, and colonization. But we should say this. We should do that and embrace what's happening now. Yeah. Well, that's well put. By the way, uh, Mark, I got to tell you, it was a great ref. I went through the same thing with Jerry Reinsdorf. In the 80s, when he played that, this is, I mean, we're a little older than Adolfo, so he doesn't remember. Just this, a few years. Just a few years. Just a few years. Uh, but uh, Jerry Reinsdorf, uh, he, he sort of extorted the state of Illinois and Harold Washington, the city of Chicago, uh, by threatening the move to Florida and got the state and the city to um, commit to uh, publicly financing. I got a great deal. Stadium. The deal is what's the sweetest deal ever. Sweetheart deal. And so, great deal. But I, I, you know, he's been here for so long that I've come to appreciate uh, yes. Jerry Reinsdorf yeah. yeah. in particular because compared to the other owners right. in this town, he's a freaking saint. And uh, so I'm, I'm with you, Mark. When you were going on that riff, I was like, oh my but, god! But people have to tell the, the people have to tell the history because I was doing Uber. I would take people to Addison, Illinois, and I said that White Sox were were supposed to move to Addison. But kids don't, people don't need people in Addison don't know that. If you're young kids, you don't know that. So even and I. I love my White Sox. I hope they'd be here forever as long as I'm living. If they move to Vegas or pre-like play half, they're like, ironically, 
the Tampa Bay is Tampa Bay team is talking about moving playing half the games in Montreal or something. But the White Sox play half the games in Vegas. If they move to Vegas or move to uh, Charlotte, I'll still be a White Sox fan. But there's no guarantee of the future. I'm a White Sox fan, not like Adolfo. He's a big fan. But I tell you, Adolfo, it was a magical <laughs> moment when the White Sox just clinched the division in '83. As I, I was, down the I wall. was, I was, uh, I was nine. I was nine years old. Dude. You, you, you were I remember. Me. I remember Julio Cruz crossing the plate and yeah. the the. Oh, uh, the, the 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 sirens going off at night too. Yes, it was. It was but that was that. But that's that was a different era. And I wish I still had. I was still early twenties, I think. And I wish I still had that fire I did back then. But when the White Sox won the World Series a few years ago, and there's a picture of me. I'm going to send to you, Ben. I'll send to you, Adolfo. <laughs> a picture of me at Arlington Park with the White Sox trophy. So Rasdorf, I, I give Rasdorf some love because he did win the World Series. No, he, and I don't know about this team, but they have what it takes, but they've never really played together the entire season. Yeah, so yeah, we, that's, don't that's what's hard. we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen. By the way, there was a funny pit, uh, Pete did in the um, – uh, the New York Times article, which I urge everybody to read. It's a great article. It's an uplifting article. Uh, first of all, Tim Anderson, as I said this earlier, uh, the shortstop for the White Sox, uh, the only uh, uh, black American on the team, uh, talking about uh, how much he has in common culturally with the uh, the, the Latinos, and he goes, they're black guys too. And it was just like what Mark was like. like well, people, pe- people are people. When you meet people, yeah. people are people. Uh, uh, and then, but Liam Hendricks was funny. He goes, we're all island people because he's from Australia. We're all island people. Right. Uh, that's uh, hilarious. Go, go White Sox. I mean, go White Sox. I want to hold this new World Series trophy. I can almost taste it. And by the way, before we leave, a little shout out to the Chicago Sky. I'm totally aboard. Oh, that's right. The bandwagon, uh, Candace Parker. It was we're the awesome city of win. champions. City of champions. City of champions. And my beloved Bulls. What? I don't guys, know. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready to go. Uh, All right, guys. The game has started. Zero, right. zero. Uh, the uh, one, two, three in the front, top of the first. Uh, uh, now Altuve is at bat. So, anyway, Lynn, hopefully Lynn will have a great turn it around because he's had a bad record against uh, the Astros. But I think he's going to turn it around today. And uh, tomorrow, Gio's going to get them. But, anyway, thanks for uh, – uh, uh, letting me come on, and uh, and we'll talk soon, Ben. All right, that's All right. Adolfo Mondragon, Mark Sims. Thank you very much. I'll let everybody go watch their White Sox game. I also want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom the show would be possible. And as Adolfo, Mark, and Tony LaRusso will tell you, back home at Alton, they call him Dr. D. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Chicago is a really good place to have a corporate headquarters.